What's up, guys? This is Kelly, and welcome to the Ringer Podcast Network. Make sure to check out the latest addition to the Ringer lineup, Music Exists. Each week, Chris Ryan and Chuck Klosterman ask and answer questions about their love of music while exploring the role of concerts, locations, fandom, criticism, genre, lyrics, and much, much more. You can listen to new episodes of Music Exists and follow along every week for free on Spotify. Welcome to Jam Session. I'm Juliette Littman. I'm Amanda Dobbins. We're coming to you from our respective homes. Um, it's very strange to be podcasting during this pretty wild and difficult to process time, but hopefully it will be um, something of entertainment and perhaps companionship. Yes, those are our goals. Our goals are to share with you some of the things that we have been consuming and enjoying and to create a an atmosphere of 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 calm and yes. and and camaraderie. How about that? Yeah, totally. So on that note, let's talk about Dakota Johnson's home where she lives alone in the Hollywood Hills. <laughs> I really have to say, so Dakota Johnson's home is in Architectural Digest this month. And there is the traditional photo spread and piece by Derek Blasberg, who is everywhere all of the time. But there is the accompanying YouTube tour, which in terms of things to watch and things I recommend, this is an extraordinary 10 minutes. I really, I, I took notes and I have so I many. Because <laughs> there's so much in 10 minutes. It really, really could is. be an hour. Yeah. It's, here's what I want to say off the top. Great house. Love this house. Yeah, it's a really nice house. Ryan Murphy seems like he probably has more of a hand in the home that we're seeing today than than Dakota Johnson herself. But I completely agree. It's really nice. It's really cute. It has kind of like a loft treehouse vibe, but I don't say that in like an annoying cutesy way, but more in a great home for an adult who has that kind of wood, like likes wood, basically, which Dakota Johnson definitely does. Yes, she says in the video, I like wood. We should say that the home was designed by architect Carl Maston, and she used Pearson Ward, which I guess is a design firm, to um to to help decorate this home. The thing I like about this is that it's definitely trendy. There are some signature, you know, decor it sure. it things in the home right now from you know the colored cabinets and the just like the mid century exactly, wood. but it has personality. And it has specific taste and it doesn't look generic Instagram copycat. And I give her and her designers credit for that. I really liked her ceramics. Really nice pottery that was pretty unique. It looked more like a cool take on your grandma's wallpaper than the traditional hipster pottery, which I also love, but like is definitely more unique. And I, I thought that her glass cabinets made sense because her pottery was so pretty. Yes, I really also enjoyed the speech that she gave about being into dishes before yeah. revealing the dishes that she's very into. She's just like, I don't really understand why people collect china, but then look at my china that I love and I've never used. It was it was relatable. I enjoyed it. Um, I have a question. Is she still dating uh Chris? Matthews, what's his name? Is she Chris still Martin? Chris, Chris Martin. Martin of Chris Coldplay. Matthews is, is is a different person who we don't need to talk about on this podcast. I believe so. Last I heard, yes. Um, okay, just wondering. I was just trying to get a like, picture because she makes it seem like she's just like home alone all the time. And it's yeah. just like no, oh, she's a sanctuary not. of one. But I'm pretty sure she, I was like, but I think Chris Martin's coming over, isn't he? So I'm yeah. glad we cleared that up. Um yeah. we've been very kind. 
I think it's time to talk about all the ridiculous things that she said in this video, of which there were many. She is a true character. How about that? She reminded me of someone. She reminded me of Josh Baskin from Big, but a woman. Like she was impersonating being an adult. Like all of a sudden she found herself as a rich adult and she's like, what should I do? I think I'll get nice dishes. Yeah, I think that's true, though. I will say there did seem, you know, obviously these are super staged and she's decided exactly what she's going to point out before. And she's like, yeah, put the Paul McCartney record on the turntable. And but not the Beatles. Like, no, no. Solo Paul McCartney. God bless. And, you know, they figured out that they're going to talk about these photographs and like this table. So it's all super rehearsed. But to the extent that she's unrehearsed, It's really tremendous, but she is doing stream of consciousness and she's sharing and volunteering. And I find it really funny. I was like, I, I have done a total turnaround at Dakota Johnson. I think I was really tough on her for a couple of years there. I was like, I don't get it. I don't get this apathetic. You're not trying vibe. I don't get this apathetic hair. I don't understand any of it. And from the Ellen episode on, I'm just pro Dakota Johnson And I know that everything we're going to talk about this video is absurd, but also I was delighted by it. I'm anti. I do not agree. I was just like, Dakota Johnson, I don't care for you. And you've made a lot of weird choices. That said, your house is really nice. But I want to talk about some of the more shocking revelations. Oh, okay. Do you, I would like to make the case, but you do some of the revelations first and then I'll make a case. Sure. Okay. Number one revelation is that her backyard dining set is made from wood from the yacht of Winston Churchill. I don't understand how you don't think that's hilarious. That was maybe the most ridiculous jam session sentence that has ever been said. When she walked outside, here is what she said. This was made out of the wood from Winston Churchill's yacht. You couldn't (laughs) Mad Libs that. That is so ridiculous. As she like sort of understands that that's ridiculous. I mean, there's, she's, there's a reason, maybe she doesn't think it's ridiculous. Maybe she thinks it's cool, but come on, that's funny. How many times in your life are you going to hear someone say this was made out of the wood from Winston Churchill's yacht and have it be true instead of an SNL skit? It was funny. I agree with that. However, she couldn't, she had put it in such a weird place. Like that's the thing is like, there's, Good stuff, but then a weird choice. Like she put it in a place where the chairs could not remain level. And and they left in the video the fact that she couldn't like keep it in place because of the the space between the outdoor tile. And I was just like, come on. I don't know. I know, but I like that she pointed that out. You know, in a garbage Instagram influencer fake video, it just, they wouldn't even show that. And instead they show her just kind of like struggling, trying to fit the chairs in under the table. Because I think actually when they fit, there's like a nice curvature of all the the tables. It's like a little puzzle piece. One of those round And then she's like, no one can sit in this because of the tiles. And she's making a joke out of it. I I thought it was funny. I'm pro. I um, think I think that this was made out of the wood from Winston Churchill's yacht is one of the better things that's happened to me today. I'll just put it that way. It was very Wes Anderson-y. Very Wes Anderson-y. Yes. Yeah. Okay, continue. She kind of looked like, as, as I say that, she kind of looked like a Wes Anderson character, but like had a 
like a um what are those brothers name a Duplass brothers vibe. It was like a Duplass brothers character in a Wes Anderson movie or something like that. And she then she was like wearing like a um the female version of what Jason Schwartzman wore in Rushmore essentially, where she was wearing sure. like which striped shirt and the blazer. You're so, so when she okay, was it wasn't when striped. she was reaching out. I'm wearing a striped shirt. It was a normal white shirt and a blazer. Sure. Sure. It's not the clothes. I like the clothes very much. It's how they fit. Okay. I just thought she was doing an homage to her mom and Working Girl, which is one of the most important movies great, to me of all time. Great, great and movie. I own a similarly shaped blazer that I've been wearing. So I, I liked it. But Amanda, yours fits you. When you when you lift your arms, you're not swimming in your jacket. And she like lifted her arms for a reason I don't know. And she was like swimming in her jacket, as I said. It just was it was strange. But it's it's okay. I agree that I'm excited that she has this dining set but also like how did that dining set get made who was like let's save this wood and turn it into a dining set that will eventually end up in dakota johnson's home i don't think they were thinking about dakota johnson's home when they made it but i i'm i'm glad that someone had the foresight if you are currently listening to this podcast and also the owner of a yacht of historical significance or not and you want to save the wood from your yacht to be used in future outdoor furniture I think that'll be great content in 50 years. <laughs> That's just my okay. advice. I did feel she had a lot of really good books. So we'll talk more about books later. But I was like, good okay. books, Dakota. Also, one thing I liked about it is that at one point she's like, don't look at this stack of books. This isn't yeah. the cool stack of books. And then she literally <laughs> takes it and puts it in a cabinet so the camera can't see it, which I, I think that's charming. Also, I have many embarrassing stacks of books in my house that I'm like, oh, if someone were coming to my house and filming my bookshelves, I would have spent hours rearranging it to only show the cool things. And then I would like throw my body in front of the embarrassing things. So, I agree with that. I, I think this is great. I agree. Okay, okay, let's talk about her records. I liked the cabinet the records were in. That was really cool. Mm-hmm. I also liked that she was like, this isn't vintage. Yeah, I know. I liked that too. She's like, <laughs> I liked that as well. But then she was like, I'm so into records. And I was like, okay, you have like maximum 100 records. This is not an impressive record collection. Maybe she has others in storage, but I was just like, Zoe Kravitz and High Fidelity is not impressed. I knew that this was coming. And I was like, what, do you want her to be the the really rude sexist guy from a great episode of High Fidelity, which I enjoyed. Um, great show. I'm so glad you liked it. Um, I don't want her to be that, but I'm just saying, like, maybe don't shout out your records when your collection's not that impressive. I mean, maybe that's just what she can fit in that cabinet. I don't know. I, you know what? I also don't think that we should all be Zoe Kravitz high fidelity snobs and say that you should only like like records or music if you have the ability to house like thousands of them in some sort of obsessive spreadsheet capacity. You know, sure. Music's you know, for you know. I agree with that. You know, I agree with that. Okay. Since my favorite artists are not really like record type artists, like right. no one's like get me the vinyl of that Backstreet Boys record. You know, it was yeah. more like get me the CD from Japan with their extra single or something. Whatever. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Anyway, um, how did you feel about her pool? Well, it's narrow. There's not a ton of backyard space. It's built out, this home. And the pool is taking up most of the backyard. (laughs) Um, I also, outside of the Winston Churchill dining set, and I guess the backyard is really the most important part of this house is what I'm realizing. There was two other major revelations, or three, really. Go One ahead. was she found these really cool beaded chairs and she just put them outside, even though they're out, not outdoor furniture. 
based on your your many years of living in Los Angeles, would you recommend that? I am currently sitting in my kitchen looking out at our very small patio. It's even smaller than Dakota Johnson's backyard um, where I have left our much cheaper, specifically outdoor furniture out in the rain that we've been having for the last week. And I just have to tell you, it doesn't look good. So no, I, I, here's what I hope. I hope that Dakota Johnson is being a more active outdoor furniture owner than I am. Cause if you leave stuff out there, the color gets messed up by the sun. It's dewy in the morning. It's dusty in the afternoon. You need really durable outdoor furniture in Los Angeles, even in the Hills. I think. Uh, Yeah. If it's outdoors, it needs to be able to survive the elements. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> those those chairs, they cannot. Um, next, let's talk about what she buried in her backyard. Oh, that's I, this part was incredible. <laughs> this part was like, is this a performance? What am I watching? This is like eight minutes in, and she just like points out these really fancy. I do like the chairs. I think they're very nice. And she's like, they're not outdoor chairs. And then here I wrote it down verbatim. Okay, she like gestures over to just like a you know little patch of. It looks like they're daffodils or something growing. They're not daffodils, but it, whatever. And she just goes, my cat chicken is buried there. And then nervously laughs. And then she goes, which is not funny. And then she goes, I don't know why I think it's funny to tell you that. And then she just like moves on. And it's like the pool is heated. <laughs> I rewound it like three times because she's just like, yeah. So a couple things. I mean, number one, she's just kind of very awkwardly socially being like, oops, that's where my dead cat is buried, which I don't have um, the relationship to pets that a lot of people have. But that's nice. okay, that you're honoring your pet. Sure. But then she's just kind of like, oh, yeah, it's there, which. (laughs) Like, does she think about it often? Does she forget? Is it there because she cares so much about it? Like, I I don't know. I don't know really the etiquette of burying your pets. I guess a lot of people do it in their backyard. I just thought right. it was so funny. She was so cavalier about it. And she was like, oh, right. It just, the whole thing was hilarious. Yeah. Also, I mean, that her cat was named Chicken. And so she just is like, my cat Chicken is buried there. And I was like, what? excuse me? <laughs> like, what? It was really I know. good. And I was like, okay, so the cat was named Chicken. Is that what we're supposed to gather? That's what I'm deducing. I'm not 100% on that, but it's my best guess. I have watched it several times at this point. And then lastly, she was like, I'm in a forever war with my neighbors over over putting bamboo up. This is when she stole my heart because this is incredible. (laughs) Nine minutes in, she's like pointing out, points out some bamboo and it's very tall because, and she notes that bamboo grows really quickly. And then she just takes this war with her neighbors public. She's like, I'm in a fight with my neighbors. They don't like that. Them growing the bamboo so tall. But it's been going on for a while, but I don't want people to be able to see in my house. So direct quote, they can just shove it. Okay. (laughs) And that is what she says about her neighbors and the bamboo fight to a national magazine that is absolutely going to put this on the internet. And she knows that because there are cameras filming her say it. She is my hero. That is awesome. If I were rich and famous and in a fight with my neighbors about the freaking height of the bamboo... I would do this too. That is, this is the exact amount of serious that you should take a fight over bamboo height. And I respect her. And this is amazing. I guess all we can say is Dakota Johnson, shout out to you. It was really something. It's, it was the kind of content that like you should, you've probably got 10 minutes to spare at home. Throw it up on your TV. I watched it on my computer. I regret it. Like just take it all in. It's so wacky and weird. 
It's great. We didn't even talk about her thoughts on Barb from Stranger Things. Oh, yeah. And, she, she's uh, like, Barb, she's stuck in the Upside Down season two. That was so funny. Then she, yeah. Then she just goes, that sucks. She's still there. And then moves on. She also has a fruit bowl that's limes only because she really likes the color green. She really does. I mean, her old kitchen was in New York was green, as she tells us. This kitchen is green. She loves yeah. the color green. It does go nicely with that wood. She's got a good aesthetic. She's got a great aesthetic, and I'm really enamored with her Daffy hilarious presentation. It's certainly worth 10 minutes of your time. And also, I would live in that house, which I can't say about most homes featured in Architectural Digest. Can, can I ask you, did you know that Hunter S. Thompson and Don Johnson were the best friends and that he was Dakota Johnson's godfather? Because she also mentioned that. I didn't know that, even though Hunter S. Thompson is like a figure of great importance to to my husband, which is probably why I didn't know it because I wasn't listening when he started talking. But anyway, I did also think that that photograph was very cool. I thought her art was interesting and good. Like she showed a few photographs that she has in her desk and they like both had personal significance and also were like visually interesting as opposed to most celebrities who just have whatever like garbage generic pop art that their, you know, art buyers sure. tell them to buy. So, you sure. know. Yeah. I I, I I thought it was okay. I just thought I just was so confused, and which I found which turned into contempt for me and glee for you. But it's good. It's good for us to disagree. It's the spice oh, of life. One more thing. One more thing. Yes. <laughs> Remember when she's in the backyard and she just goes on a random tangent about like the fortunes that are on the back of the little handles on tea bags. Oh yeah. Yeah, and she's like, the difference between a flower and a weed is judgment. Yeah. <laughs> I what a character. I I recommend this she YouTube really video is. even though I've basically reenacted it at this point. But that's okay. It's great. She seems fun to date. I feel like I get it. Like even if she's not for me, I think she seems fun to date cuz she's so daffy. I would enjoy spending time around her. We don't even have to date, you know? Yeah. I can just, just saying like Chris Martin, I get you. Amanda, maybe you'll see her out and about, you know? Yeah, I don't know where in the hills in relationship to me. But it's been raining so much. I'm not really out and about. Right. No, nowhere's anyone. But like, you don't know. Yeah. I just feel like people will be going on walks eventually or something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I think that is true. Well, I'll let you know if I do. And then I'll try to talk to her about Barb and the bamboo. Wonderful. <laughs> um, okay. Let's move on to our, our next topic, which is kind of a weird one, but we're just going to hit it because we want to talk about it. Everything that's happened with Outdoor Voices. And I say this as I sit here in some athleisure. Yeah. So I think you and I talked about this briefly a couple of weeks ago because I was, it had kind of happened. And and what happened essentially, which is um, Ty Haney, the founder of Outdoor Voices, which is an athleisure company that makes, you know, kind of like the the yoga pants or this, the, you know, leggings and, and tops. Well, like kind and, of like the color blocking yoga pants that right. you've seen. Yeah. It's like one of the mega Instagram companies, right? Where you yeah. like, you you see people in it on Instagram and they have a hashtag called doing things and that whole like early influencer, but also just wanting to be a part of like a brand via Instagram. I'm thinking also right. of like Glossier and I'm, I'm sure there are a million others that you can think of. Um, but so Ty Haney of Outdoor Voices who founded it is no longer with the company. And there have been several different rather dramatic reports of what happened at the company in order right. for her to no longer be with it. And uh, she has one version. Yeah, she will tell you it's not, not of her own volition. Yeah. 
But we were talking about it because it reminded us or reminded me of The Intern, the Nancy Myers movie. Totally. Totally. Um, and since we brought it up, there have been a few more stories, one in the New York Times, one in BuzzFeed, and then a comment from Ty's own Instagram account that are, they are notable. Yeah. So she said in an Instagram story post that her, her exit was tied to quote the heartbreaking narrative of an individual trying to cause harm. And that was supposed to be the kind of like the equivalent of who was never brought in, in, uh, the intern, Mm -hmm. right. It was, that was supposed to be in reference to this guy, Mickey Drexler, who was like older, more experienced and joined the board of outside voices. And then Ty Haney kind of suggested that her exit was a result of him. Yeah. Mickey Drexler is a legendary retail business person who most notably worked for J. Crew for many years um, and was kind of like the vision behind J. Crew. Right. And so, yeah, it is kind of like, sorry if I'm spoiling the intern, though, it's not really spoiling it at all. So great, great watch if you're at home in the next few, few weeks. Um, at the end she turns down, it's Anne Hathaway's character is kind of like running a -a net-a-porte type company. And she goes to meet with a CEO to see whether that she should bring in some extra business leadership help. And then at the end she decides not to. And so, yeah, it's if, as it's, if the Anne Hathaway character had accepted the CEO at the end, and then if the CEO and possibly other people had ultimately taken away leadership of the company from her. You know, the accounts are uh, very different depending on who is talking. There is a New York Times business story that is about just kind of some of the financial difficulties that the company was facing. Uh, There is a BuzzFeed story that it's about some of the managerial or culture hurdles that was facing the company, which is primarily made up of of young women. Right. And that was a big part of it because, because she was being pushed out by older men who then fired some women as well. But yeah, the, the Buzzfeed, it's kind of funny. I don't know if you agree with this, but I sort of found the Buzzfeed story to be less sympathetic to Haney and the New York Mm -hmm. times to be more sympathetic, which I, which is, I guess like kind of not what you expect from the outward, like sheen of outdoor voices, at least for me. So that was kind of interesting. Yeah. The Buzzfeed, story was interesting to me because it illustrated like a disconnect that seems to happen a lot, especially in these women focused like brand forward companies between like what you see on Instagram and what the reality is of a situation. And so it seems like there were a lot of young people who had bought into this whole like hashtag doing things. We empower, you know, women of all shapes and sizes and colors, uh, sales pitch that Outdoor Voices was making. And then the experience was something different. And so then tension ensues. Yeah. It's interesting. Like it's a real Instagram versus reality situation, um, which is kind of funny because it's such like a, as you said, an Instagram brand, but I think it, it also like just speaks to something that is difficult, which is, I think, I mean, whatever, this is kind of political, but the, the, the impulse for like women to support other women, I think is really strong amongst some women, but then I think many of the employees, according to the Buzzfeed story, were sort of disappointed and felt almost like let, let down or not to say betrayed. I don't want to like to characterize how they were feeling without knowing them, but it's just sort of like, you think that a brand that you like is aligned with a cause and then you get there and it's like, it's actually, um, does not stand up for what you believe in, or it's also like not as 
cut and dry and it's just really complicated. And I think that happens a lot with particularly like gender based causes where it is um, such a there's such a binary um, like assigned to, well, this is a female led company and like therefore it's good and should be run one way or the other. And it's it's really complicated. I thought that I, I thought the Times story also did a good job of trying to balance that a little bit. And they're really good reads in conjunction with each other because they they tell a fuller picture of the story. Yes, absolutely. We should say the Times story is by um, Sabna Maheshwari and Aaron Griffith. And it does also explain that, you know, it it had some basic investment and scaling and the, the problems that I think probably a lot of Instagram or viral companies face when they're yeah. going from being a small company that I think was started like in in the beginning of this decade or the last decade, I should say to being something that suddenly has a lot of exposure. You know, there's a, um, Gia Tolentino wrote a profile of outdoor voices for the New Yorker a couple of years ago, and it did become sort of like a, a, like a figurehead brand, I would say in terms of these companies that are for and run by young women and are imparting like a certain both brand value and like aesthetic. You definitely, even if you are not familiar with outdoor voices, if you listen to this podcast and like look at Instagram, then you are definitely familiar with the outdoor voices aesthetic because it has been copied and it's just, it's like every, it's everywhere now. I should also say no free ads, but I do own a couple pairs of outdoor leggings outdoor voices leggings and they hold up really well and they're great quality and I I wear them a lot. So I think they also invented a type of, they were part of the athleisure thing for sure. Oh yeah, definitely. Definitely. I have a pair or two from the gap that people are always like, are those outdoor voices? And I'm like, no, they're knockoffs. The gap copied them. (laughs) Right. And they're really like, they're a different kind of cotton. They aren't really great. And like, I think flattering for many different body types. Like I find them more flattering Mm -hmm. than Lululemon personally. As I sit here wearing a Lululemon sweatshirt and um, (laughs) leggings, which I really love as well. But, uh, you know, that's what work from home is. Anyway, I'm glad that you wanted to talk about them because the two articles together, I think, are a good picture of how it's really complicated to, like, make good on support female-led businesses, like, just because they're they're led by women. Like, that doesn't necessarily mean they're perfect. Um, It's complicated. It's really complicated. Totally. And I think this idea of supporting a company for what it produces versus like the quote values that it espouses is definitely not specific to outdoor voices. And it's definitely a way that a lot of companies sell themselves and get a lot of people to buy their products. But I I mean, that's going to be a continuing issue for them, right? Because the, the founder is of the company is no longer with them. And whatever was happening, that's it's probably not the sales pitch that Outdoor Voices wanted going forward. No, definitely not. Yeah. This isn't good for anyone. And also, I think the other thing that we should note is she was pushed out shortly after she had her first child, which whether the business was being run well or not, sucks. That's just yeah, like sucks. It's not what you because, want. Yeah. It's like a, a woman in transition in every single way. And like, as far as I've been told and have observed, having a kid is really complicated and to, and to like lose your company at that same time really, really sucks. So yeah. Anyway, let's move on to a different story, but we'll put these links in the show notes and definitely check them mm-hmm. out. And thank you to Brianna Sachs as well, who wrote the Buzzfeed story. Um, next, we've got some lingering Harry and Megan stuff, but really it's Harry and Will. And the Daily Mail just will not fucking let up. 
Well, so a couple things. I mean, that's true. The Daily Mail won't let up. That happened a week ago. Megan's visit was one week ago. I'm sorry, Megan and Harry, though, who really cares about Harry, not me. Um, But their trip back to the UK and the church service was one week ago, which it really does feel like lifetimes. But so I think the Daily Mail, both because the Daily Mail does not know uh, personal boundaries and also as a distraction, they've really been going in and they, they, for the beginning of the week, they were covering it from like Megan's point of view. And it seems like, I can never really tell how close the sourcing is, but they were writing it from like quote sources close to Megan being like, she hasn't had time to educate herself about COVID-19, which I like, I don't even know what to say there. And then towards the end of the week on Sunday, specifically, they published like, I would say like a more nuanced than usual for the daily mail, which is like a huge, huge qualifier piece (laughs) by um, Kate Mancy uh, about Will and Harry and just the continued, the freeze between them. But I thought, what I thought about this was interesting is because it really, it's about Harry. And they are kind of changing their, the Daily Mail is changing its tune a little bit in terms of the motivations for this whole falling out and, and, and also how they're writing about Megan and Harry in general, it is more, this was more understanding than, than most things, which is kind of what made me think that I might actually have a little bit of reporting, but (laughs) sure. I'm not really sure it. It's sad. It seems like they are really fighting and that Harry just kind of felt ignored by everyone. And then was like, goodbye, I'm out. And, and now he is, and it's, it's kind of a bummer. I find it really, really sad, like really just such a terrible bummer for everyone involved. One thing that drives me crazy is like the British press constantly invoking like Diana would have been so disappointed. It's like we don't. Mm-hmm. Yes, I'm sure that is true. But also like it is sad on on its own, like two brothers who used to be really close, no longer being close anymore is is very sad. And also it just seems like the the way that this is portrayed someone has to be vilified all the time. And I I think your point is definitely well taken about this piece being like definitely more balanced and there are more balanced pieces, but I think because it's so tilted one way or the other, it was like sort of like, there's no, there's no room for nuance in the press apparently. And that like definitely filters down to their own lives. Yeah. Because so much of their lives are lived in reflection of the press. And so much of this whole thing is a, is a reaction to press attention and press invasion and how the press shaped or limited their lives as the case may be. Um, Yeah. The the pictures are so awkward. Like they are just so, so awkward. And I don't, I, it really bums me out. I I hope that everyone's able to like move forward eventually and perhaps they come back around, but it's really quite a big schism. And when you compare photos from like different years and whatnot, it's really stark. Yeah. And I think they're all, trying to work through an uncomfortable situation. And obviously there are a lot of other things going on in the world and everyone's a little stressed out at this point. And I think I can't say how I would handle having cameras on me at literally any point, much less at at such an emotional point in a relationship. So I do think you have to put that in consideration, but yeah, it does seem, it just kind of seems like the narrative is solidifying a little bit. And, you know, obviously Daily Mail, you have to take with like an entire like mountain of salt and all of these stories are always only going to be like part of the story. 
but it just does really seem like Harry didn't feel like there was a place for him and his family anymore or a place where his family could be um, safe and have options within the royal family and was just like, okay, and now we're done. Yeah. The other thing that really um, and it, I thought was interesting was Harry, it, it really kind of brought home a couple times like Harry's interest in working and having like a hands-on approach to different things. Like it said like he considered being a firefighter at one point and that like his and Will's um, approach to conservation is really different where like Will is more teach a man to fish, whereas Harry wants to be like more involved. And I, I just thought that indicated to me a desire from Harry to like be doing stuff. And that's something that I didn't really appreciate and also but particularly interesting to me because when they put their new website out back in January which like honestly feels like many lifetimes ago not just one um they just said we want to work like it was clear that they wanted to have an income and I you know I think definitely there's a lot of money shit at play and it's undeniable with the way the Goldman Sachs and uh, JP Morgan speeches have played out but I do think that Harry's also just like wants to be occupied Maybe that's yes, generous, absolutely. Yeah, I don't know. No, well, it wants to be occupied and also wants to have a sense of purpose. And I think that that this piece and a lot of other pieces have reminded us that being William's younger brother, being the quote spare of heir and the yeah. spare, doesn't really give you a lot of room to maneuver in that system. And you know, in a lot of ways, it's just living in the shadow of your dad and your younger brother. I mean, your older brother for your whole life. And I mean, first of all, just imagine having to work with your family all the time. Like your job is working with your family. I don't know. Couldn't be me. That's for sure. And your job is like, your job is being your family. And yeah, it seems, it seems really rough. And then of course, when, when they have disagreements, but how do they want to carry on, whether it's Will's way or Harry's way, there's, there's, there's no room for Harry's way. Ultimately, he's not going to be king. Yeah. Yeah. It's a bummer. Well, it is a bummer. I wish them well in Canada. They're probably well isolated given the way that they live. Yes, I think so. Uh, let's talk about books. Speaking of isolation, Amanda, I'm curious to know what you've been reading in your first few days of social distancing. I made a list and this list is probably too long. But to, so to answer okay. your question, the book that I finished over the weekend, I told you about this. So I was rereading Persuasion by Jane Austen, which I don't yes. think I had read in in 20 years wow. maybe i don't know am i old enough that maybe let's say 15 let's tell that back to 15 how about that um and it was delightful and i really enjoyed it and i find the jane austen world with its that is both uh so narrow but also has so many like social rules and conventions and like order to it to be quite reassuring um also obviously she's one of the great novelists um, ever, sure. but I, I finished it. It was a lovely read. I'm going to seek out all of the various adaptations this week. Looking forward to reporting back on those. What are you reading? I am just about done with 1004 by Ben Lerner, which he has been in like the book news lately for his newer book called the Topeka school. Um, but 1004, I love, I really like it. Um, I would say it's a book about existential anxiety. So if you're not interested in a book that is not about a pandemic, but is about sort of existential questions and mortality, then I wouldn't read it. But if you are interested in that, and like sometimes I am just drawn to the morose in a maudlin moment, then I would really recommend it. I really, really like it. Um, 
it's a it's a fast read while also being very uh, deliberate in how it's written and ex- extremely smart. So it's ten oh four, like the time. Um, it's like about so many things. It's about New York. It's about art. It's about what it means to impregnate your friend because you both want to have a kid, but you don't have a partner to do that with. It's about like wondering if you're going to die. It's really, really good. And I, I highly recommend it. 1004, but it's, it's like 250 pages and like a pretty fast 250 considering how heady it is. So I recommend it. After that, I plan to read The Mars Room by Rachel Kushner. Um, All right. You're going full literary. I'm going full literary. I, I just feel like I've been watching so much television, which I plan to continue to do, but I needed an antidote to it. Like I'm deep. This will be, this will be discussed in the bachelor party later this week, but I'm, I'm deep in formula one drive to survive the Netflix show. Yes. <laughs> and I've just been watching so much TV. I felt like I needed to balance it out. And so I'm going full literary and I'm really enjoying it. I think that's great. I'm going in the opposite direction. I'm just, okay. I'm, I'm full comfort food. I think the next thing that I'm going to read, well, actually I started it and it's called The Casual Vacancy and it's J.K. Oh, yeah. Rowling's adult novel, which is somehow the only of her published works that I haven't read. I actually have read all of the Harry Potter series and I think it's pretty great. And then the thing I would really recommend if people haven't read them are her mystery novels. I, I've probably talked mm. about them here before, but so she writes them under the name Robert Robert Galbraith. There are four of them. The Cuckoo's Calling, Silkworm, Career of Evil, and Lethal White. I believe there's a fifth coming out in September. They are tremendously readable and companionable, except for Career of Evil, the third one, which I think is honestly not very good and probably even skippable. There is the same characters. It's Cormoran Strike is the detective and his assistant, Robin, who has kind of a will-they-won't-they thing. And they're in all four of the books, and they're very nice, but otherwise you can skip career of evil, but I'm reading casual vacancy, which so far is about a small town in the UK. And I, I just think she's like a, a tremendous writer and just a tremendous, I mean, this will be obvious from the creator of Harry Potter, but like just a creator of worlds. And she can just so like easily evoke people and places and you don't have to work for it, but also there are ideas and observations and the the prose is, you know, beautifully, but like not showily written. I think she's really talented. She also just puts out a book like every six months. I really don't understand how she writes so much all of the time. She's also doing plays and scripts and like tweeting weird stuff about Harry Potter characters, like, you know, and their sexuality 10 years later. I I don't know. I I wouldn't recommend the tweets, but everything else is great. <laughs> I'm going to read that. That's a great idea. I hadn't even thought about it. Um, yeah, that's that sounds great. I'll report back on the Mars Room. I mean, people have been talking about Rachel Kushner for years, but I just never took the plunge. I also think I'm going to read Super Sad True Love Story by Gary Scheingart, which I never read either. So yes, you are correct. I'm going full literary. But you're also like a, a very specific literary era. Like, what is yes, that? Like 2011, six- 12? Yeah, it's like, I think Super Sad True Love Story might have been like slightly earlier. But yeah, it's like 2008 to 2014. Right. Have you done flamethrowers? No, I don't really want to read that. I'm more interested in the Mars okay. room. I'm sure. I'm sure I'll be like, you know what? I'll read it. Cause I liked this one. And obviously everyone loves it, but I'm just sort of like the seventies as an era does not really interest me. I really enjoyed that one. That one I have read. I have not done Mars room, but, um, you know, it, I think that is also the flamethrowers is of that same like early decades. What are we calling yeah. 2010 to 2020 now? 
What was the last decade called? The tens. Teens? The tens. It's it's part of that early tens era of yeah. literary greatness. Yeah, and it was a it was a really great time. I would say if you're looking for a, a pleasant, entertaining read that finds um, hilarity in the mundane, which is the opposite of what's happening right now, I would definitely recommend. And then we came to the end by Joshua Ferris, which is like a different kind of like. And then we came to the end. It's also a little bit of an end of the world book, but it's really entertaining. It's from that era too. Is it second person? Yeah. Right. Which you read this a few months or reread this a few months ago, right? No, I just, I've been like revisiting the books from like the first 15 years of the century, basically. It's like really one of my favorite literary times ever. Like Jonathan Tropper's in that category as well. I love all those really chatty, zippy books. This is where I leave you. It's another great one. They all have an existential question in them, but the existential moment dwarfs them so heavily that it's like almost a joke. That's a great response. If it's your response, I'm going straight comfort. <laughs> you know, I'm going to places where I've never lived and things that can't apply to me at all and that have very low stakes. But I think there's something for everyone. That's the beauty of books. Well, I look forward to having a weekly book check-in. I think it sounds great. Um, Amanda, it's been great to chat with you. It's good to see you. Have Stay a safe. wonderful time on the internet. Stay safe to you as well. Thanks for listening. And we'll, we'll be back next week. <laughs> 